0: Forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tune tonight, tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the writer's panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah.
1: Welcome back, Jennifer, Caton Robinson. Um, we had you on the podcast a couple of years ago. Uh, you're the creator and co-showrunner of Sweet Vicious. Um, and now you have this fantastic new movie, Someone Great, that is coming to Netflix this week. Um, and I, yes. I told you off the air and I will tell you on the air. I love this movie so much. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a fan of yours. Um, it's just it's Thank everything you. I want. A I guess a romantic comedy. Right. I mean, is that what it is?
2: Yeah, I say the romantic comedy where the rom isn't calm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the romance isn't funny at all, but it's definitely in the genre of romantic comedy. It's just not necessarily like the. Tr- it's just subverted and, and a little bit different.
1: Um, and it feels to me, and I and I absolutely mean this, uh, it, it feels like a contemporary Nora Ephron movie. Like it has the rhythms and the character <laughs> and the jokes of of her films, um, and it, it's so exciting to experience that again after not having it for so long.
2: That that, one, that makes me want to cry. That is very, very lovely. She is, you know, she is the GOAT. She is the, the ultimate. So yeah. to, to have my name in a sentence with her name feels like <laughs> it just feels crazy. It like, makes me sweat.
1: <laughs> that, that's my goal here today is just to make you sweat. Yes.
2: Um, <laughs> well, I'm just profusely sweating. <laughs> let's,
1: let's talk uh, very briefly about the beginnings of this. Um, how long have you been living with this movie? And then how did it start to take shape as something you could actually write? Let alone direct
2: I've been living Yeah I've been living with the movie Honestly since I was like 22 years old And I got dumped in New York <laughs> As like a young As a young wide-eyed Woman who got dumped The night before her birthday uh, oh And I God. kind of Sat with it Yeah Terrible Full It's just awful um, And I sat with it and I thought about it And it's like I, I knew I wanted to make It's a converted rom-com and I love the genre I love all these things But it really took like A me living my life And mm-hmm. like Being through relationships And like You know Like actually like experiencing wh- what I needed to experience to be in a place where I felt like I had the the life to put it on the page. And also it, you know, that kind of coincided with me being a more seasoned storyteller. And after, you know, writing Sweet Vicious and being on Sweet Vicious and kind of like being in and around the future space, uh, it was kind of like those two things met at the, at the perfect time. And mm-hmm. I, at that time, also met Dan Magnante, who is Paul Feig, uh, who produced the movie's executive, and I pitched him this idea, and we really like clicked creatively, and we kind of went back and forth on, you know, what is the actual movie inside the, you know, inspiration and idea, and that's mm-hmm. when it all happened, and that was like 2015, and I think I started like end of 2015, early
1: 2016. Oh wow, it's um, been quick. Yeah, I'm. I'm- Curious to hear about, like, how does this idea pitch? I mean, I think it's at its core a very relatable kind of story, but it's the specifics of it that really make it. So how do you, when you first sit down with Dan, how do you talk about it?
2: I said I want to make 500 Days of Summer Meets Drunk History. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's how I pitched the movie. I was like, I want to make a movie where a woman... Is having a whole day, and she's kind of going into her memories and accessing this relationship, and you're seeing the relationship through her lens. Because that's also that was like, like none of the moments of Lakeith and Gina in the movie are objective. They're all the way Jenny remembers it and mm-hmm. feels about it, and it's why I chose to write them and make them feel the way they did. Because I feel like you romanticize those moments, or you vilify you yourself, you vilify him, you you know you romanticize him, you romanticize yourself, and all of those things. I wanted to feel. You know, like they, like I wasn't doing anything while I was doing something,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
2: if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I pitched, you know, 500 Days of Summer Meets Drug History. And the other thing that was important to me was I wanted to make a romantic comedy where a woman chooses herself. And mm-hmm. where it's it's all about the idea that, like, you complete you and the promise of another romantic relationship isn't what's going to you know save the day or make you feel better
1: yeah and and it's so satisfying in that way because i think we're we're so with jenny in her on her journey that it feels like the inevitable outcome Um, yeah
2: i i you know i i feel i feel really um grateful that i found a home in netflix because that was something that i think potentially other places would have pushed back on Hmm. but netflix was so completely on board with the idea that they were never going to end up together. And that's huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about, uh, for a second about, uh, drafts of this movie. Um, how drastically did it change? How many drafts did you work on over the years? And at what point did you know you were going to direct it?
2: I would say it's funny. I went back, I wrote like 24 pages, 25 pages and sent it to, um, ECO. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is this good? And I went back to that first email that I sent, where I sent, the, like, is this good? Read the, read the first 20 pages. There is stuff in those pages that is on the screen,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, which is crazy to me. It's just, like, it, it really, like, I understood it. And I think it's because I've just been sitting with it for so long, but I understood it so deeply. I mean, there are probably, I don't know, a 100 drafts. Like, there's so many versions where you rewrite, you know. Right. You go through it and, like, and not just like before you make the thing, but like in pre production when you know it's just like you just constantly, constantly rewriting. And, and what I really try to do is I try not to rewrite because I'm bored with it, which I feel like I can sometimes do, where I'm hmm. like, this joke isn't funny anymore. It's like, no, you've just read it 60 times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I try, I try to like understand like when I should be penciled down. Um, but yeah, there were, I would say like, I don't know, like a hundred. Like from everywhere, from like big, yeah, big sweeping rewrites to little micro things, mm-hmm. like a hundred drafts, like so many drafts. Wow,
1: uh, and it feels like it, um, it must and, have. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
2: No, I was gonna say, and and uh, but I would say, like it's at the end of like kind of like the first like real you know, the first Pencils down that I did where I was like, this feels like a completed good thing and I sent it in and I was like, let's send this to Financers. Mm -hmm. That is when I went into Beco and I, and I just knew, especially in making my television show and being on the side, you know, being a creator and showrunner on television, you are making the decisions in terms of like what something looks like on screen. I knew that this was so personal to me that there was no way I could stand next to someone else making those decisions. So that is when I... Uh, Realized I wanted to direct
1: it. That's really cool. Does the script change for you after that, knowing that you're directing it?
2: No i I think I just unconsciously wrote it like I was going to (laughs) direct it. Like there's camera. Like I have like you know very specific like camera movements written into the script. Like it was it was written like I under like I it was written very visually. If that makes sense. Like I wanted the reader to know exactly what I wanted them to see, and that came through in the script. So I feel like without even realizing I wrote it in that way uh, to begin
1: with. It makes a lot of sense. Um, And also, you know, this script lives or dies on these characters, and your characters are so sharply drawn um, from the get-go. I mean, from the first time we meet them, we know who these characters are. Uh, I'm curious to hear about some of the character work and, and what you discovered along the way about these characters.
2: Yeah, it was, I really wanted it to feel like, especially the three women had their own arcs. And I, I always use this in that, like this thing where it's like, you want to feel like you've seen every character brush their teeth. Like, you usually only <laughs> see, like, the main character, like... Like in the house, I'm like doing the thing in the morning, <laughs> and the, You know, it's like you feel like you never get those intimate moments with the side characters. And I didn't want, I didn't want side characters, is yeah. really what it was. And so, you know, you have three women, you want them to feel completely different while feeling, you know, uh, you know, compatible and like they fit together and like they make sense together because what you don't want is like to make, to do three completely different arcs that are just like, why are these women friends? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you also don't want to create the same woman three times. Um, And I also really didn't want to create uh, the stereotypical kind of like rom-com women that we've seen before. I think that especially like Britney Snow's character, Blair, Mm -hmm. that character could very easily be the type A kind of like uptight bitch, Mm -hmm. Like, super, like, naggy, like, we've seen that character before, we know that character. I didn't want that. I wanted to deconstruct the idea of your kind of, like, you know, friend who is going to make, like, six schedules for your weekend. Um, And, you know, I wanted to see what happens when you pull the thread, you know, when you pull that character's thread and watch them unravel a little bit. And so that was kind of like how I went into Brittany's character. And then DeWanda Wives, who plays Aaron really important to me that that you know that there be a love story on screen in present day while gene and mckeith are you know through memories and like hmm. that's a love story i wanted a present day we are in a lot of love story in this movie and i wanted that to be a queer love story yeah um that was you know finding her and like the nuances of like what does that mean to be coming into yourself and you know becoming 30 as a queer woman uh, that was, you know, I really wanted to dig into that. And, you know, Aaron is also uh, a character that is like, she's kind of the, you know, of all the women, the most Peter Panny, mm-hmm. Um And who, you know, feels like if she moves into adulthood, that means that she's giving up what makes her cool or what makes her, what. like, I think that she's grappling with that. So I really wanted to dig into that. And then Jenny is me. Um, so that one was easy. Uh, <laughs> um, no, and, and, you know, and with Jenny, it's like, it's, it's, you know, wanting to put a woman on screen who can be messy and fucked up and have a really terrible day without blowing up her life.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: she's fine. and Her job's fine. And her life's fine. But you're watching her process this, you know, incredibly kind of earth shattering event in a way that feel that I I wanted to feel super relatable um, in a way that I think that rom-coms can be very broad about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting seeing the ways that you would both take from and ignore romantic comedy tropes. Was there stuff that you yeah. was there stuff that you watched uh for inspiration for for any reason uh either during the writing or before directing?
2: Yeah. I mean, like Nora Ephron was a huge one and and I think that you know watching her movies and and just like seeing how she how she created those worlds and especially how she like shot New York and made New York feel and romanticized New York in that way. Um, but I also watched things like, I mean, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was a big one for me. And I, you know, uh, in an insane twist of fate, actually worked with Anthony Bregman on this movie Mm. who made Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm. Um, So that was a big one. That was a touchstone for me. But then like, you know, going to like Mike Nichols, like the Mm birdcage, it's like, which is not a movie that has anything to do with not a romantic comedy, but it's just like, it is a comedy about people that is both so laugh out loud, funny and like hits you right in your heart. And really like, you really care about the characters in such a real way, even though they are all larger than life. And so those were the things that I kind of like, you know, watched and, and, went to
1: for inspiration. Uh, Let's talk for a second about directing this. Um, There's such, there's the quality that I want in every movie of this, which is the people talk like people. Uh, There's this sort of offhanded breeziness to it. You know, it lives and dies in every scene. Well, it lives in every scene. Um, uh, Tell me about jumping into directing. You make it look easy. Uh,
2: You know, there were days and I swear to God, there were days it, it looks easy because I the cast is incredible mm-hmm. because Gina Rodriguez, Lakeith Stanville, DeWanda Wise, Brittany Snow, RuPaul, <laughs> Shabuki Young White, Michelle Buteau, Peter Back, Alex Moffat. It's like this cast is ridiculous. Rosario Dawson is ridiculous, and so there were days where I would like get to the end of the day and look at the producers and be like, "Hey, did I do anything today?" <laughs> like it doesn't when when your cast is so good. And you're giving, you know, every, when, you, when you're when you working with people that are that are at the top of their game and you're giving them the space to feel like they have ownership over what they're doing and, and it's a really collaborative environment, you get, that's when I think you get the magic of it feeling like no one's saying dialogue. Because honestly, like, it's a mixture. Like, on, a, I would say like the, you know, first or second day of shooting, I was like, I'm going to make a conscious decision to not give a fuck about my script. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that I don't care about the story. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to shoot what I wrote. I did all of that, but I was never, I never wanted to harp on it. And I never wanted to push them to say exactly what was there. If that wasn't what felt comfortable or right to them, mm-hmm. because it's coming at its you know, and I think that that was my favorite part of directing was being able to, you know, work with and from everyone from the actor to production designer, to costume designer, to the DP, to everyone to, to being like, here's the thing. Like I, like, I did the work, here's the thing, here are my references, here's what I want. Now, let's find what's actually going to be on screen together. Hmm. Uh,
1: and then t- then how does that come together in editing for you? What kind of sense do you get about the movie as a whole as you're going through? And then what, what happens in editing? Is it telling the story, uh, you know, for the third time?
2: Yes, 100%. We, there, like, first... The first uh, cut of this movie came in at two hours and thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we by the way, by would husband. watch. Um, yes, I, I <laughs> trust me, you don't want to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but the the really unique thing about this film is because so much of it plays in Gina's memory. If you read the script, you would it doesn't match up with what's on screen. It's a puzzle and we can kind of like, it's one of those puzzles like geometric puzzles that you can kind of like arrange a million different ways. Mm-hmm. That's what this script is and that's what this film is. So I would say there are 15 to 20 ver- very different versions of this movie where there are more female busting in the key. But even the present day stuff we flipped around a bit. Hmm. Um, so in editing it was really about you know, the tone and the vibe and you know, the essence of the film never changed. It was never like we got in editing and I was like, oh, I made a completely different movie than I wrote or than I sold or that I was shooting. Mm -hmm. It was more like, okay, what is the best version of this thing? We have all of these amazing pieces. Like, what is the, you know, we have all the ingredients. Like, what, what, how do we make the soup? Mm -hmm. And, And it was... You know, not just with editing and actually, like, placing scenes in different places, but we also rewrote two pretty big scenes with ADR. Yeah. changed, like, the message of the movie. Also, the poem was rewritten to change the message of the movie. The second half, first half of the poem is what's in the script. And the second half of the poem that she writes on the subway, Mm -hmm. uh, I rewrote once we got into the edit and, like, started to find you know, Jenny, we started to find Jenny and Nate and their relationship and what it meant and, and all of that, it evolved. And then I rewrote the poem to kind of match what we had found in editing.
1: Oh, wow. And and those two scenes too, that were sort of rewritten and in, re, redone in ADR, how did they change the movie from what was before?
2: So one of the scenes, I don't know if it's there, so spoiler alert, one of yeah. the scenes, it doesn't matter who he is, not a Marvel <laughs> movie. Um, one of the scenes is, it's <laughs> not endgame. Uh, one of the scenes is Gina and Lakeith fighting on the street. And in the script, and this was purposeful, it was a nondescript fight. It sh- and it was meant to not feel like any one momentous thing, hmm. or a, or a mo- it was just supposed to feel like she was thinking about like a time that she was shitty to him and that they were shitty together. Mm-hmm. And then we got into editing, and I was like, no, this needs to be more significant. Hmm. Um, especially because the scene that follows it is kind of the moment where, you know, it's a scene of them in bed together, and she, uh, through having sex, kind of like, it, you can tell that they both are just like not there anymore in mm-hmm. this relationship. And so we, with ADR, rewrote that fight scene to time stamp it to after he knew that she was moving to San Francisco so that it really felt like the moment right before the demise of their relationship. And it really felt like this was, this was the night, this was the thing, this was the breaking point where they realized themselves Mm -hmm. that it was over. And then the breakup is when they talked to each other about it being over.
3: Yeah.
1: That's fascinating. And, and Clearly you had to go on this this sort of discovery to this journey of discovery to get to that because the original version totally makes sense from a writer's point of view.
2: Yeah and it makes sense like and if you read it in the script you like there it's interesting because it's like there is nothing that like I could go back to and be like, oh I, I should have done this differently as a writer. It all does make sense in the script. It's just when yeah. you get in there and you see the movie and you start testing it and you start you know giving it to audiences. It's such a different thing than you know the way that people receive and and uh, consume it as a reader versus watching it.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, all right, we we do need to wrap up because I know you've got a lot of people to talk to about this movie, and more people should know about it. It's out this week. It's called Someone Great. Um, I am sorry. There are no commentary tracks anymore. Cause I just want to talk to you about this movie for 90 minutes. <laughs>
2: I'll just do it on my own. I'll just Perfect. video myself doing it. Please. And it on um, will love that. <laughs>
1: I'm so happy for you. The movie is so good. Uh, can you, any idea what's coming up for you? Is there anything you can talk about?
2: Uh, no, not yet. I'm writing the okay. sweet, vicious comic, but other than that, oh, that's fun. you know, hopefully in the next, in the next month or so, there's going to be some, some fun announcements.
1: Uh, awesome. Well, whatever it is, uh, I'm excited to see it, uh, especially after watching someone Thank great. You. Um, good luck Thank you with so everything.
2: Much. Thank you, Ben.
1: <laughs> Thank you all for being here. Let's get into it. We have a lot to cover. There are a lot of you here. Um, I want to start by having you introduce yourselves on the microphone. Tell us a few uh, places where we may have seen your name on television as well. And let's start with you, Rael.
4: Hey, I'm Rael Tucker, and I've worked on shows like True Blood, Jessica Jones, and I currently run the show Sacred Lies on Facebook Watch. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome.
5: Hi, I'm Leonard Dick. I have worked on a slew of canceled shows that no one has ever heard of and that my my aunt never saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, More recently, I worked on uh, shows that you might know. I worked on Lost, uh, House. I did six years on The Good Wife. And then most recently, I just finished working on one of the new shows for Apple called Are You Sleeping?
1: All right, that's great.
0: Cool. I'm Michael Kramer. Um, I've written on... um, Everything from kids' animation, Rugrats, Recess, Angela Anaconda, to uh, some sitcoms, um, to dramedies, Life Unexpected, and Men in Trees are two of them. And uh, for the last bunch of years, I've been doing um, uh, sitcom pilots that Mm -hmm. unfortunately have not been filmed, but (laughs) (laughs) I have been paid to write them. Yeah. And
6: I'm Lily Birdsell, and I am an actress. (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) I know. I need to leave. I just wrote a project with my... Husband, oh. Michael Kramer. Now so, it's out. Yeah, now it's
0: out. And we just did a pilot for CBS. Yes, and is. it
1: seemed like such a fun pilot. I
0: assume you have heard. <laughs> yeah. We have heard <laughs> it and the fun did not uh, allow it to go forward. No, um, so anyway, it's not going forward. It's CBS. the worst call in the world. It is. It, well, yeah. listen, let's get into it. Um, I've described it as uh, equated to what it must feel like to lose the World Series. Where like <laughs> yeah. you make it all the way through the pitching process, development, and then and then it doesn't get made, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're back. Your record is back to zero zero, and you right. got to go through the whole season. You know, but the fact is,
1: most of like they buy up a hundred scripts, right? They make twenty five tops. Um, so chances, the the odds are not with you. Yes. Um, So you know this going in, but it still is a heartbreaker. So tell us a little bit about this pilot that you just did, and how did they let you down?
0: (laughs) They were super nice, and I will just say— What was the development process It was with CBS Studio for CBS, The Mm -hmm. Network, and they could not have been nicer throughout the process. Their notes really were helpful. Like, it really was—you know, we don't have any kind of bad story to tell about it. And and it is one of those things where it is so disappointing not to go forward. Mm -hmm. And we got a very polite call from the studio just saying, you know— we liked it, but it's not going forward. Um, but um, but I have thought like, well, if we had told, been told in advance, we'll pay you to write it, but it's not going to go forward. We still would have done it with them. So mm-hmm. you know,
1: that's that's a good feeling. I mean, it means yeah. you're doing something you care about, which I feel like is the ultimate lesson, right? Is you have to, you have to care about these. things.
5: And, and the other thing I, I would add, I hope this is somewhat of a bomb, um, <laughs> balm, b a l m, which is <laughs> uh, I found that I have found that ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time it has nothing to do with what you did on the page mm-hmm. it you know you here you were sweating at the act two break and why is character X pursuing character y and then when it came comes time for actually ordering the shows a corner office is making a decision that this year we need more right. shows from this or we know that or we have to lay off that deal it had nothing to do
1: with with you sweating right. that act to break. Yeah. So much is out of your control that you can only do the best at the yeah. thing you do.
5: The right. cliches are cliches for a reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, did um, a, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I did a pilot once for USA Network, a sitcom pilot, and then they got out of the comedy business. And we had a pilot at the same time. Team. And I have a friend at the same time. <laughs> <same thing. laughs> yep. And there's nothing they killed you can all do. of us. Yes, there's yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. you do. And I <laughs> did one for TBS where they switched presidents midway. So mm-hmm. there are things like that. Where absolutely. It's, you know.
1: Um, Um, you, what Tell me about your development experience? Uh, You have a show on the air on Facebook Watch. How did it
4: wind up there? Uh, This is
1: Sacred Lies, which is a great show, which people should seek out.
4: Thank you. Well, they have to look really hard because no one knows it exists, but I'm super crazy proud of it. Um, So, you know, it's funny. I have a bit of a different experience. Everything I've developed along the way, you know, for 16 years that I've been in this business never got very far in the process. And I would always convince yourself to fall in love with every project. Mm -hmm. And it's the one. And why doesn't everyone understand? And then about pretty quickly within a year or two of a finishing development on all these things, I hate everything I ever wrote. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't blame them. They should not have made that. That was a piece of crap. Um, this was the first thing that that wasn't true hmm. of. So now I really feel like oh I cracked this. The reason oh. none of my shit got made is because my heart wasn't on mm. the page and and it wasn't messy and dirty and crazy enough. Like yeah, so I don't mean that like different. graphically. <laughs> right. Um, I mean that in the sense that okay I bought I bought the rights to this book. Um, myself with my own money yeah. because I knew nobody would make it. I knew it was an insane thing to do. It was about a girl with no hands who escapes a cult. I was like, no one's going to make this show. That's my childhood story. I can't, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> and I I fell deeply in love with this book and I, I knew it was the craziest thing ever to do and then I poured my heart into it. I wrote it on spec. I, I knew no. I couldn't walk in and pitch it. I knew I had to write something that n- nobody would, elver, would ever see and thus mm-hmm. I put it on the page and I took it out and nobody bought it which is what <laughs> I expected to happen, but I knew that even if that happened, I would have been proud to have written it because I needed to do something I believed in that Hmm. much. And by the end, Facebook, you know, read it. We took a meeting and they bought it straight to series. It was like, you know, it took, but it was about a three year process from beginning to end. Um, And it's been the most amazing experience of my life because, you know, they're a new network and. I've been doing this a long time, yeah. and so they're basically like, make the show that you want to make. Go and they're make trusting that. you to do that. 100%. I, I mean, mean, you have more calamity.
1: experience than they do in this
3: world.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's some execs there that have been around, right. but, you know, yes, I'm I'm a showrunner who's done this a few times, yeah. and, um, and they bought something they knew was weird and <laughs> different, and they said, go make that.
1: I'm curious to hear, uh, specifically for Facebook as a network, how are they different or are they different too like you've worked for hbo and and you know network tv and sure. cable tv and all these various you know netflix is facebook different as a network
4: not in the process of development or in okay. filming which is you know it's kind of is what it is. Right. The difference there is that I would say they I feel that there's a little bit more trust I was able mm. to because we were new, it was the first long form scripted show they made. Yeah. So I was able to be like these are this is how I make television and negotiate a little bit more of how I wanted it to work than that then would be true of all these established places. Mm-hmm. So that was great, but other than that it was pretty much the same. The difference lied in when the show premiered, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a thing that frankly we're struggling with which is their you know i think their philosophy is they have two billion users on facebook and like they just need to be air traffic controllers and point them in the direction of the show Mm -hmm. um but there isn't a lot of outside publicity yet you know and that's something that that we're we're all struggling with on the show like internally the creatives you know um but it's a new thing and like if signing up to do a second season, the thing is, do you do something where no, the show no one's ever heard of that you're so proud of? So
3: hmm. and
4: the price you pay is, you know, I get to <laughs> make a show the way I want, but no one will know it's there except the, you know. I mean, you know, our numbers aren't that dismal, but it's like, no, it's a, it's but like it, a million. It's hard to get noticed anywhere su- right now yeah.
1: with a new show, let alone yeah. on a new platform. Um, so I just want to put a, a cap on this, too, by asking when you were laying out here Here are the ways that I would like to run a show, and maybe here's how it's different to what you're suggesting or what is known. What were those ways?
4: So for me, it was just like, uh, here's my schedule. Mm-hmm. you know here's how my writer's room works this is how many weeks I do this is how much time I need um, you know things where other places would have a standard for that and they would say well th- we don't do that on a drama yeah. or you know so this is sort of how I went into it um, things like I like to get my notes this way like I prefer to That's get right. notes via email I don't take calls on notes unless we're in like a drastic situation because I f- I'm a very reactive person so if you give <laughs> me a note I don't like I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you <laughs> are you gonna take the table over right now? <laughs> yes. We'll see um, how your notes go. I mean, I, I'm not a screamer, but I just am a defender sure. of like what I love. And if you give me notes on the page and I can take it in and talk to all my yeah. writers about it, it's just going to have a better result for everyone. I'm going to walk out being more reasonable than, you know, had you just called me and well, I was in the middle of a bunch of other stuff. You <laughs> that know?
1: makes a lot of sense. But things like that. Um, I want to talk uh, a little along those lines um, about, you know, Michael and Leonard, you guys have worked on a number of shows, a number of different kinds of shows. And I'm curious to hear about like, what do you take from the experience that maybe you learned the most in? You know, what was the most instructive staffing experience for you? And what did you take from that? And what do you use it? What do you, what did you take from it that you're using now in your, your jobs?
5: Uh, for me, I'll, I'll turn the, the, spin the question 45 degrees a little bit. Because for me, um, it has been, every show I've learned something different. Mm-hmm. And so I put it into my sort of mental blender and uh, and, and what I'll do is I will f- find myself in a writer's room echoing something I learned from Damon Lindelof or mm-hmm. something I, I learned from Robert King. And so I, I'll give you a perfect example. One of the most common phrases I now utter is something I learned working on Lost, which is what is the last thing the audience is expecting? Mm-hmm. And so w- you'll have these healthy debates in a story, should the character do X, should the character do Y? Well, then you stop and think, what if the character did zebra Mm -hmm. and something that wasn't even on the radar? Or also, um, one of the things we did on Good Wife was always looking for what is that left turn in the middle of the story? You you spend, the the way the Good Wife stories were structured, uh, our teasers would would be about 18 pages, effectively a full act. Our act ones would be 15 pages. So really, in in a 60-page script, by the time you get to the end of the act one break, you're halfway through the show. You've been in court for two full acts. The question is, how do you mix it up? Mm-hmm. What happens? So, um, it, the, and these are just lessons. This is why this is the benefit of working on a lot of shows: is you pick up uh, totally. different skills, little tricks. You put it in your toolbox, and you can draw on them. I mean, it's funny. I contract early on in my career. I I, I worked on a lot of c- canceled shows. <laughs> which had two benefits. Number one, I met a ton of people. Sure. My contact list was huge <laughs> in contrast to one of my friends who worked on like three successful shows out of the starting gate and knew, said he knew five people in Hollywood. What a loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is you, I, I, like, even though the shows may have been canceled and the, the ratings were low, the, I still work with great people and great That's showrunners. Good. So all the stuff I learned from them, I have, uh, I have, Pocketed, yeah. and in some ways, it has informed what I've done. So I think the answer is it, there's a there's a little bit of everything, and I think the the good writer, the smart writer, is able to take what he or she learns and make it their own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It makes a lot of sense.
0: I I worked on a show. I wrote on a show called The Big House, which was a star. It was six episodes, and it was a mid-season replacement for ABC. And they, but they had renewed all their shows for Mm -hmm. the full season. I remember the next day, (laughs) the showrunner came in and said, "We're fucked. Like we're a (laughs) mid-season replacement with nothing to replace." But the the showrunner Stephen Engel, and it starred Kevin Hart before he was Mm -hmm. Kevin Hart. Um, But the showrunner Stephen Engel, he had on the on the board when we would have uh, the board for each episode. it would say, like, the name of the episode, who the writer was, whatever. But it would also say, like, the act break for each – the act break at the end of the teaser, the end mm-hmm. of the each act, and then the tag. But then he had a, a separate column that said, what's it really about? And I always thought that was really great because it might be like, oh, it's Kevin Hart's birthday, you know, the story right. about his birthday. Whatever about, the plot whatever is. Whatever the plot was. But then it was like, what's it really about? And I thought that always um, – it was a great thing to take forward. Because Absolutely. I just thought it made it – Uh, Whatever I write, try to I try to make it a little bit more about something.
1: Yeah, I think that's really smart. Um, And Lily, uh, the same question. You know, having worked on sets as an actor for so long, uh, on again various different kinds of shows, what are you now taking from that and bringing to the writing process? What do you have to teach Michael about writing? Oh, there's so much. We should that Mike a little bit.
6: (laughs) Um, Well, it's interesting. I have you know, being new to. This writing experience and the whole process of it, um, there are certainly character-wise, I feel like I have not an advantage because, you know, writers certainly know about characters, but maybe a different perspective. And I'm great-looking. And you're (laughs) great-looking. But certainly a different perspective Mm -hmm. on, like, what, you know, because as an actor, when I have a part, I'll break it down you know, internally, what my backstory is, and um, m- because I'm focused on one part, I'm able to go more in depth, or I have more time. Sure, of know. course.
1: You're focused on one character, whereas a writer has to focus on all the characters. Right, right? so I
6: feel like that's something that I've been able to to bring to mm-hmm. what, what we wrote together, because, um, you know, every time we got a note, we would often get... Notes like we want to know more about this character. We want to know like where did she come from? What is her life like? What is her mother like? What is her father like? And then the next (laughs) note would be like pull all that out. We we don't want to know any of that. So it was really like you know whittling it down to a nugget of something. And I feel like the um, when we were flushing it out, that's where I was really able to like show my stuff because it was um, really fun to like you know bring those details about.
0: Absolutely, I would say also. Two things particularly I noticed. One was that she would she would say – she said something that I realized I will bring to all my writing, which is why would an actor want to play that character? Mm-hmm. So sometimes like people – I've seen shows where I go, wow, I love the main character of the show, but the supporting cast are all interchangeable. Um, and um, I used to – I started out as a writer's assistant. And I remember one uh, – someone, the assistant telling a showrunner, um, we don't have that actor for this episode. They're only in, like, 13 of the 22. And he said, oh, okay, well, then give all his lines to this other character. And I thought, well, that shouldn't be. Right. Like, you shouldn't you – sh- the, the character should be more distinct. Absolutely. And that is something that Lily has brought to our thing. And then the other thing is we'd get notes, and I think – before this, she had written and directed and starred in a, a short that was mm-hmm. that did the festivals, and it was amazing. So she is a writer. But, um, But – because she, this wasn't her where her, her her goal of career thing, she doesn't have any of the writer hang-ups, I've mm-hmm. noticed, which is <laughs> remarkable. So we would get notes, and then she would go, hey, maybe, like, we'd go to rewrite right. it, and she would just say, hey, maybe this way. Or she right. would just be like, I think i got a handle on this. And then she would rewrite something, and I'd go, this is amazing. But she doesn't, she gets <laughs> the idea, thinks it's good, and goes with it. And I was talking to her, we were talking about this, and she said, on set, you know, she could have prepared a character to be... Um, misunderstood hypothetically and then they could come up and go oh she's more of a bitch and then she said sometimes she has to rewrite rethink of it only in the time from the director to go walk from (laughs) where she's on the set to his to his or her director's chair and um, so she's used to like thinking of a new way to do it and then going with it like if it's a good idea just go don't mull and panic and
1: yeah, I mean, listen, we often hear that a writer ought to take an improv class or two yeah. because it does help you let go of some of, whether it's preciousness or whether it's just, you know, neuroses, yeah. uh, that does help. Um, and by do, the way,
5: can I add, similarly, and I actually proposed this to the head of a network. I, I think n- network executives should sit in writer's rooms. Yes. And I actually proposed to the head of a network once. I said, what if you did a retreat where you have a, a showrunner come in sit with your executives, and break a story. Ha. And then during the course of that, you you simulate what happens in writer's room. The showrunner gets pulled out for a call. The showrunner <laughs> has to go to editing. So now you're left on your own. And then, at the end of the day, the showrunner will come in, hear your story, and course correct as necessary, right. and let you see what happens in the writer's room. Because I, I think there is a level of understanding that you don't develop unless you've actually lived it. Of course. It. So yeah. uh, just same thing, I think. Uh, the same- How was
1: that suggestion Matt?
5: It was embraced,
1: really. Yeah, they, very
5: enthusiastically. Unfortunately, this network, this network president, ended up um, losing their job <laughs> sure. shortly after. And I would like to think <laughs> it wasn't because of my suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he her was like, "I've got a great yeah. idea," for and, but it was it, it, it really liked the idea. Yeah, and I think it's a good we, idea. We would we, started preliminary discussions of what
1: how that would be structured. Interesting. Um, let's talk about taking notes. Um and Rail, let's let's go back to you on some of these shows that you've worked on, you know, whether you've run them or just been in the room on them. Um what have you learned about taking notes? What you know, I think you talked about what is best for you, but that's not always the option, right?
4: I guess I mean I've learned I've learned that I as a writer my biggest weakness is my resistance to hmm. uh, to notes. And it's because I have a very strong point of view inside my head, which I'm sure all of us do. Um, but I so am the defender and believer of the artist. I, I you know I, I'm not ashamed to call myself that. I'm not ashamed to be <laughs> earnest about like, this is like what I do is like my religion. So, you know, when somebody comes in and I don't feel like they've given it a lot of thought, and they're just throwing out something that's going to drastically undo something I've worked in with all of these people on. It's, it feels like being attacked physically, like it's painful to me. Um, and when I'm in the room and people can see my face when that happens, it's a terrible thing. So (laughs) I've had to, to succeed in this career, I've had to try to build ways to, to navigate that. and. Inside of writers' rooms, when I was not the showrunner, that was much harder. Yeah, I that's. I wanted them, to
1: ask you about, like, so does that yeah. translate for when you're working for a showrunner oh, yeah. and getting notes on that? Oh,
4: yeah. I would be incredibly proud and attached to everything I'd done. And yeah. it would be really difficult for me to, to take notes. And I'm not saying that I was right. Like, lof, yeah. often these notes made it better. So it's it was just, you know, my process and who I am as an artist, and that was just not my character.
1: So how did you find to deal with showrunner notes?
4: Um, you know I basically they could see it all over my face and I would just be really honest about it mm. I would say listen I'm this is hard for me. I'm like, I know you're probably right. I'm going to sit here. Like, I'm just going to try to take it in. Like, I'm, um, you know, I like doodle a lot while it's happening because it's it's allowing sure. me to not just be staring at people. <laughs> and I would just, I, my goal, my thing in life, because I'm very transparent whether I want to be or not, I just decide to lean into that mm-hmm. and just tell everyone up front that I am this way. I tell them that in, re- in meetings when I get hired or when I hire people now. And I say, look, this is who I am. I don't mean it in a bad way. I'm working on it. I'm always working on it. (laughs) (laughs) But it just, I I choose to be vulnerable inside of it. Know what you're getting in
3: for.
1: (laughs)
4: Yeah. And I never, like, I'm not a screamer. It's none of that. It's just like, I'll just try to fight and hold on and hold on. And so I just had to work with people, thankfully, who understood that it was a passion and it wasn't a, it wasn't just me being a bitch. You know, it was me just caring too much. Does
1: that? Translate to rewriting your own material?
4: I'm very hard on my own material. Interesting.
1: So you'll take your own yell at yourself?
4: (laughs) Uh, Inside my head, people are screaming all day long.
1: (laughs) Um, but you're seeing – so you when you're actually doing the work, you see that as sort of a living document that you know you're going to have to rewrite. Well, but it's but, getting the outside notes that, that's
4: harmful. Well, you know, and because I, I do – I am – some people, I know other writers and I admire them deeply who mm-hmm. feel like they write something. They're like, this is golden. This is great. And they're amazing. And they just run it into the room to show everyone. Like I sit there and – agonize over every word every sentence every piece of punctuation so by the time i hand something into some Hmm. people i feel that i've gone through a zillion different ways that this could have gone it's not a particularly fun process (laughs) it's not hell it's just like i work crazy crazy hard and i'm really hard on the work so Mm -hmm. by the time i hand it over i do feel maybe really attached to the choices i've made it
0: makes sense but also you, you sort of have to go ahead uh so when you look at the people who were much more like put it down one time and yeah. sh- do you admire that, and do you want to be more like? Do you think that's a better way, or do you think they should be more?
4: No, I don't. I don't judge. I like. I have some of my best friends that are writers are that way, and I think they're genius, brilliant. I can't aspire to be them because I'm. I'm just not built that way. They are, and they make amazing work. You know, we are not the same, and we should not hmm. probably work on the same thing because it, w- it <laughs> probably would not would sure. not go
1: well. Well, and everyone's process is different too. Um, and I sort of want to dig in on process and talk about like. What is the work of working? What does the work of writing look like to you? Uh, Leonard, I want to start with you. Like When you sit down to write a script, whether it's for your own pilot or something, or whether you're on script for a show you're working on, what does it look like? Uh,
5: if, for stuff that I do on my own, uh, specifically pilots, my process actually echoes what my college process was for, for writing essays. But first, like, taking five steps back, yeah. it's what's the idea, and that I think is often the hardest thing. And one of the one of the obstacles I've created for myself is, and I think this might be a. Um, a function of I, I I in another life, I worked in the real world and I went to business school and I got an MBA, is I tend to look at things both from a creative perspective and a business perspective. Mm-hmm. So you look at the landscape today and you hear it's got to be i p. it's got to be this. And so you start thinking, all right, where's that book? Where is that? And so you go and search and you're listening to every podcast, you're looking at every movie, every book, and then you look at what are, what's being ordered. Well, most of the stuff is still original ideas. Hmm. So it, 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 you have this – first of all, it, it's trying to figure out how not to try to game the system, yeah. right? It's just come up with a great idea. So you know, I'll give you a perfect example. I actually came up with an idea two weeks ago, and I thought this could be an interesting idea. So I played around with it. Uh, I go for lots of walks. I, can't, mm-hmm. I find it very difficult to sit in front of a computer and try to be creative. So my dog gets a lot of walks. <laughs> yep. I, can to, I can point to cracks in the sidewalk where um, I came up with lines of dialogue. In fact, one of, a friend of ours lives in the neighborhood, and she nicknamed me the Forrest Gump of the neighborhood because <laughs> I'm always walking. So that's where I'll work really out helpful. Mo- most of my ideas. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll sit down and I'll try to I'll, – I'll, I'll just – I'll do a, a dump what are what are some who are characters what are some interesting moments where you know, uh, apropos which is what is this about what's the larger mm-hmm. story here uh, and then i have a a couple of friends that i trust implicitly who will give me notes and they can give me harsh notes but i know they'll be gentle with me and i'll say For what sure. do you think
1: and of you this? trust them you're seeking them out to yeah. get the
5: notes yeah i want people so so then, based on that, I'll I'll try to put some meat on the bones and turn it into a pitch document. In some, in a couple cases, um, I've actually written a spec pilot. I had one idea that was very personal to me. Um, it, it was a, somewhat autobiographical. Actually, no, it was 100% autobiographical based on something <laughs> that had happened. And so I gave, I wrote it on spec. I told nobody about it, and I gave it to a couple of my writer friends. And and they gave me really good feedback. That's great, uh, and you know, and uh, one, one writer, I, I, and I can tell you exactly what each writer told me. Mm-hmm. Each of them gave me one big headline, and it really helped shape uh, the project. And at that point, when I think something is ready. Whether it's a pitch or a script, then I will uh, cross that dark line of showing it to other people. Mm-hmm. Specifically, bring it to an agent. Sure. Um, you know, because uh, it's scary. It's, Absolutely. As long as, as much as we've all been doing this, you know, there's one thing when you're sitting in your <laughs> room at night and you you fall in love with your characters and you know that every p- punctuation mark and every <laughs> line is is just it's there. And then somebody, you give it to somebody and they never here's the thing th- people don't read the way you think they're gonna read what you think is and what you hope is that uh, they go home <laughs> they put their kids to bed they make a nice uh, you know a cup of hot chocolate they sit <laughs> in their office and put on some soft jazz and they open up you know <laughs> new script by Leonard Dick no they're reading in the car yeah. while they're rolling calls and, meetings, yeah and, yeah. and, and, and they're uh, 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 the reading at the stoplight and so you have that that's <laughs> the way uh, you have, so that becomes another level that's of anxiety
1: does that change like knowing that and that's something I never think about about is like that reader experience outside of I know they're busy, so I want to keep their attention. Yes. Um, does that change the way you tackle a story? Or all, um,
5: all
0: your scenes are ten seconds?
1: Yeah.
5: Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, open on a dead bot. Like no, no matter what it is, it could, it could be like a little family drawer. It doesn't matter. There's a dead <laughs> body. dead body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny. It, it doesn't influence. I know that you have to have something to grab. The, the attention mm-hmm. of the viewer, the reader, et cetera. By the way, which is true in any show. You know what is that? It's you know it's the reason why all the procedurals on network television still work. Yeah. There is a dead body. You're curious. Right. Uh, it, it, it's a it's it, the trope is it, it works for, right. for a reason. Um, so it doesn't necessarily influence what I do, uh, or I, I don't. I don't consciously try to say I need something. But it's what it's interesting that where it translates is when I talk to. Uh, uh, junior writers looking to break in or aspiring writers one of the things I always say because you're you're gonna be writing a spec a, a spec piece right. is you have to remember how people read mm-hmm. so some of the rules if you're writing a spec uh, you know big Bang theory or a spec you um, uh, this is us, you know, some of the rules that might apply to writing an episode might not necessarily apply to writing a spec version of it. Totally. You know, it, Dan Fogelman is not going to read your script. Right. It's going to be read by producer X, agent Y. And so they, 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 they might read it differently from how Dan Fogelman will read it if you were writing an episode of this is us.
1: Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think and I think it's a good it's good advice. Um. Michael and Lily, let's talk about uh, this pilot that didn't go, this Colonial Williamsburg pilot, um, which is such a fun idea, and I know it's it's something that people try all the time because it's a rich world. Um, How did this come to be the thing? This is the first thing you've written together, is that right? yes. How did it come to be the first thing that you've written together? Based on Lily's acting, an acting job.
6: Okay, I had done um, an episode, a couple episodes of Turn, which was on AMC Mm -hmm. about... The Revolutionary War and Washington Spies, and I was Martha Washington, a very <laughs> sexy Martha Washington. <laughs> um, but anyway, there was a dance scene that we did, and the extras were all sure. from Colonial Williamsburg. And um, I became friendly with a woman who plays Martha Washington there. So to do research, she was like, I'll show you some of Martha's haunts. And, um, oh, my gosh. We so so this behind-the-scenes yeah, tour. Yeah, I got it's this great. incredible tour. And the place is, like you said, it's just so rich with not only history, but just Quirky yeah. people, great who characters, have stories just devoted there. their lives to living in the past, which was really captivating. And so. the fact
0: that um, a lot of the, the people who the reenactors, a lot of them live in the colonial structures, so sure. we, we were like, oh, it's like a workplace comedy <laughs> where the people live. It's a right. great at the workplace.
6: So anyway, it's I, a great setup. Yeah, certainly, so I had called him and I said this. It's a show. This is so, okay. so rich. So that's how it came to be. Um, and
1: what was your process like working together, uh, Michael? Had you worked with a partner in the past? No. So, okay. um, but I've been right. You've been you in know, I've done
0: so. I'm currently doing a, a, another pilot for Disney Channel. This is my seventh pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a process of doing pitches and all that stuff. Um, and I've worked on staff of tons of different shows, but not. I've never had an actual right, right partner.
1: So, so tell me about developing this idea together and then pitching it together.
0: Um, it, it really is because I have friends were like, "Oh my God, you're going to you guys are living <laughs> together, working together, <laughs> married." You know, but it really has been great, and it it is. Um, and it, it's just neither both of us are passionate about it, but neither of us are at our like stubborn. So mm-hmm. we do get a good mix of um, where um, you know I had the format for what I my pitches that work Mm -hmm. for me Uh, other people it might be preposterous that they would pitch. can you talk about that sure um and there's a writer friend of mine taylor Hamra, where i once asked if i could see his pitch pages and it it was like i heard angelic music i thought (laughs) and so for me it's that um it's basically like i don't have a memory for remembering just a list of things but i have an amazing memory for stories if Mm -hmm. it's a great story or i'll remember it forever and i was once developing something for disney and an executive there said when you do the pitch give us when you're going through the characters give us anecdotes not adjectives hmm. and i thought oh well that works perfectly how sure. i tell stories and how i and so in my pitches i'll describe a character and i'll say it's based on based on my cousin or based on my brother based on a friend and then i'll give anecdotes from real life that explain who those characters are and i think it gets a much fuller Idea in your head. Like an example I've used is like if you – if I said he's super indecisive, well, that may not register. When you're hearing a pitch, you may not remember that. But if you said he's so indecisive he once went six months without glasses because he couldn't decide on frames, that just seems like it – Absolutely. You would know that that character a little better. It sticks a little better. You know that guy for sure. um, But then – so he was kind of plugging these characters into – my sort of format and mm-hmm. in my different categories in my pitch pages. And, and
1: in those conversations about characters, like, what did you each bring to it? What were the conversations like? Who did you want to see inhabit this world?
0: You really had with Janice and...
6: Yeah, I, um, because being there, they have um, this interesting thing that's happening now because it is a world of Facebook and Instagram, but the world that they want to Instagram is, (laughs) you know, this different world. So um, we want, I definitely wanted to have a character that was um, on the outside, like a corporate person who Mm -hmm. wanted to bring more modern things, you know, to have that conflict with um,
0: the historians. And I think also with that character, I think Lily also thought of a the type of character she wanted to play. <laughs> yeah. So sure. that, which is different from when I, you know, working with other writers or totally. myself. She really thought, like, this is a funny, weird character that right. she would like. What can
1: I dig into yeah. as an actor? That makes a lot of sense. And um. then also,
0: there was also going on in the world right now with, like, so, like, when she, well, when she was filming one of the episodes, I went out there, and then we went to Monticello and, 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 mm-hmm. uh, and, and Colonial Williamsburg. And it's just such an interesting time because um now with, like, Uh, Me too and all that like so now they're they're incorporating like like they said like in in Jefferson like Thomas Jefferson like was he this great guy that we all revere or was he a horrible hostage taker you know there's there's a weird world thing going on now where um, if you were to ask like we said in the pitch you've got like people asking Thomas Jefferson what he thinks of transgender rights like it's such a juxtaposition it's so funny Yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting and then for the writing process itself um, presumably
1: you had to go through all the steps and do an outline and turn that in and get notes and everything. But when you sat down to write the script, what did that look like? How did the two of you work together?
0: Um, do you want to talk about that?
6: Um, yeah, I would, because he's also working on a Disney mm-hmm. um, pilot simultaneously. So I would usually take a first stab at it. Mm-hmm. And um, like Michael said, I, um, I tend not to overthink things. I'm definitely the opposite where I just am like, <laughs> blah and um
1: every comma out of place
6: seriously i'm not worried about spelling i'm just like get it out there and then i would give it um to michael who um you know finesses it and would you know punctuate it <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it would be things of rewriting things but like having that what a really great base in first draft yeah. and then we also um our agency also represents a guy alex reed who's a mm-hmm. showrunner and he's also a director. And he came on board as a showrunner. and he, but because he's this great writer, he also we would then send it to him, That's and great. he would give us notes and all, or or rewrite things. So it was um it was like having three writers, yeah, over.
6: but That's it really cool. was with the three of us all together. We really did. By the time we turned it into the network, we were so happy with it and so proud of it. And so it really was like when you would pass this like present off to them mm-hmm. <laughs> and have them come That's really and cool. Be like, yeah, no. <laughs> really was like, are you crazy? It was great. Thank that you. Was, was you baby. never know. Thank you
5: for this draft. We really like right. X, Y, and Z. Here are a few thoughts. Yeah.
4: Also, yeah. my favorite is this is a, a really great first draft. And yeah. you're just like, you think this is a first <laughs> right. draft? Are I you I would insane? show you a first draft. I thought we were, thought we were filming this. I've <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: the alphabet
3: five times. Yeah, right. Always.
1: But you have to believe that, right? When you sit down to do the thing, you have to believe I'm doing this. 100% this is the final draft, even knowing more are coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you'd never get through it.
5: Every time I turn in a, a draft on a show, I say, why don't we just change the title of the episode to verbatim? <laughs> 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 or just write at the bottom, shooting draft. Yes. Shooting yeah, shooting
0: draft. Yeah. I, I, I worked for a showrunner who would write um, on the script next to certain jokes, uh, CBB, could be better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, what do you think, I'm holding back the good stuff? Like,
4: <laughs> Could be better. The other thing I want to say, just the last thing about giving yeah. – about getting notes that I recently just learned because I did – um I was an executive producer on Jessica Jones mm-hmm. season two. And Melissa Rosenberg was the best I've ever seen at this thing particularly, which is she would th- profusely thank everyone for giving notes, but genuinely. Huh. Like she had gotten to the place where she was like, that's wonderful, Thank you. I'm really I so appreciate it. That's so thoughtful. I'm going to go away and I'm gonna think about that. And she meant it every time. That's amazing because she gotten to the place where she her her in her process where she absolutely believed that every piece of input would make it better in one way or the other in her brain. And I sat with her, I'm like, (laughs) I am the opposite. And I it did, you know, I it did really help me because mm-hmm. I'm now much more able to see that as like people's, in, their intention is to give you a gift. Their intention is to make it better. Of course. And if you they may not at, know how
1: to express it, right. But and
4: they may not be the right gift for you, but right. they're trying to help. And <laughs> right. so now that I've really, I'm, I'm learning that it becomes easier to not just want to leap across the table and throttle them. That's Alex
0: Reed gave us a good advice. We were going to get notes on, I can't remember. Maybe I think the first outline we did. And, um, he said before we took a call. Remember, like you don't have to pitch solutions on this call.
3: Yeah. Like,
0: so hear their notes and let it. And we'll digest it and we'll discuss it and we'll come up with ideas and brainstorm. So you don't, because yeah. I think I used to have that thought of like, oh my god, they're giving me a note. I'm gonna they're we they're gonna be sitting there waiting for my solution yeah. right on the call. You're not. You don't have to react in the moment. Exactly,
1: um, Leonard. I want to ask about. Um, the kinds of notes you all got on The Good Wife. Uh, what seasons were you there? Remind me. I
5: was there two through seven. Okay. So I was there uh, uh, the first the best year. best years. Uh, well, yeah.
1: <laughs> Six of the seven best years. Like they're, all, they're all. No, it's all, such a great all, show. All. Uh, what, what kind of feedback were you all getting from the network and then from uh, Robert and Michelle as well as writers? Uh, it was – for the most part, it
5: was a, it was a really good partnership. What was interesting and uh, was how it differed, how the notes differed from what I understand happened in season one uh, mm-hmm. uh, to two through seven. And it's it's also evident if you watch the show, which is early on, all the notes were about the case. You know that's huh. that's CBS's yeah. thing is pre- the procedural part of it. So if you watch the early episodes, they're very case heavy. Hmm. And then uh, as the show evolved and the relationships evolved uh, and all the twists and turns in the characters' lives... Um, with the show, we, we ended up doing more B, C, and D story. We, those became thicker. Yeah. Uh, and we did a little bit less case to the point that when we were in season seven and we were breaking a, a story in the, in the latter half of the season, we would say in the writers' room, it feels like there's just too much case now. They, by this point in the show, the, the writers uh, – I'm sorry, the audience is really watching for what's happening in these other stories. And so what happened was um, the, the network notes, uh, the executive notes, would change along the way. So what happened was we would get to a point. I remember, I think this is sometime in season five. One of the questions was on a notes call. Well, what's going on in the relationship between Alicia and Will? Which is, and that's a that's a huge turning point. They're now asking questions yeah, about you know, the, the the analogous experience. I would cite is I did a pilot for CBS a couple of years ago, and it had this really fun. It was a procedural, but it was a light procedural, had a really fun premise with a really cool way in and some uh, really interesting character relationships. And I did not get a single note about the premise or the character about the relationship. All the notes were, and they were all fair notes about the case. Uh, can you clarify this? You know, can we have a ticking clock there? And so, they, you know, a, a, with a lot of executives, depending on where they work, they 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 give notes a certain way. They have a set up. They have a kind of note. So when you get a show like Good Wife, which was a little bit different, it was like one or two standard deviations away from the norm. There is almost a self education process where. So the executive notes would change over time, That's and neat. and internally, um, you know, the show uh, we when you work on a show with a good group and you, you sort of learn what the showrunner wants and, and so you can channel that person. So a, a lot of, you know, in the writer's room, we would we would know that, you know, Robert and Michelle were looking for, an uh, you know, A, B, and C. And so we were able to write to that. So we'd have these really break the stories to mm-hmm. that. So we'd have these very healthy debates. Um, and then, you know, internally, then we'd you know pitch it to Robert and Michelle and they'd come in the room, and they would course correct as necessary. So it became a pretty well-oiled machine,
3: yeah,
1: uh, where
5: everyone was, for the most part, on the same page.
1: And was there was there stuff you took specifically from your seasons on that show to your current experience, and to the stuff you worked on uh, after?
5: One thousand um, percent. For me, one of the biggest ones. It's it's fun, It's funny. It's something we all know. Um. Uh, in, instinctively, it's something that we all try to do, but it's something that we all run up against, especially when we're, we're writing our own thing or developing a pilot, mm-hmm. which is knowing that the audience is smart. You know, I think one of the challenges of developing shows, you know, depending on the outlet, is you tend, you are forced, I think you encountered this, you ha- you are forced to overwrite. Yeah. So the way, like, the, the shorthand I say, you write for yourself, you overwrite for the network, <laughs> and then you edit it back for yourself. Like, you know, it's when you get into an edit bay and you see yak, 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 you tend to pull back and what you end up with is what you originally had written, a form of, and I've mm-hmm. seen this time and again. And so, one of the things I took away from *The Good Wife* was knowing that the audience is smart. The best example is if you watch *Good Wife*, we never did jury verdicts. Yeah. You know, it, when Kalinda finds that clue that points the the finger at the at, at, at the uh, at the defendant, we know it's story over. The audience knows it's story over, yeah. so that you can just play the emotional stuff you, and then wrap up yeah. the stories. Allow them to fill in right that, and that procedural gap. Yeah, and, and and it's something that we all want to do in our story. We <laughs> don't want to have to 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 write yeah. everything in text. Uh, you want to you and you want to let the, you also want to play some gray let the audience mm-hmm. figure out what does this mean so uh, that that experience on good way, I think emboldened me to, at least to try to do that in other things but still you know you go work uh, do a show for another network and they may have a different sure. they may want you to <laughs> override it right. you know can you please lay out lay out a b c d e lay out everything in the character you know what what what's her backstory? Right. You guys ran into this. What's her backstory? Can you tell? The audience doesn't. The it, it, it's yak yak yak. You know the audi- All you need is you know sh- she's got a secret. That's interesting. I don't need to know totally. what the origin of the secret is and you know what happened when she was five years old. I- I'm intrigued by that character. So yeah. that's one of the my big takeaways from uh, Good Wife is the audience is smart. The audience can fill in the blanks, yeah. and the audience wants to be you know the audience wants to figure things out for themselves. Yeah. We uh,
1: in talking to uh, Robert and Michelle, we had them on the podcast last year, and like I felt like that was something I learned just from that conversation and having watched the show. was yeah. They said like it, for them it was so much about there've been so many law shows, yeah. right? So we wanted to do a version you haven't seen before, do something a little yeah. different, and we can leave the stuff out because the- you know, And by the way, I out. would
5: add one other thing, which is again, a uh, complete testament to them, is um, telling, uh, taking a familiar genre and telling the stories in a different way. Yeah. So you'd open with a jury verdict, or you would, because usually in most legal shows, it's somebody walks in the door, here's my problem, and by the right. end of you know the, the, the teaser, formula. you're in court, which yeah. of course is not what real law's like. <laughs> so we would start cases in the middle, and then we would backfill how we got here. And that was a different kind of storytelling. And so. It, it, that's a, a a new muscle that for, you know, for, that most of us had to develop. Was how do you t- learn to tell stories in a different way? And also, the last thing is from week to week, no two stories were the same. You know, it's, yeah. it's you have the Dick Wolf model, which works exquisitely, <laughs> yeah? and then you have um, knowing that that's the Dick Wolf model works so well. How do you differentiate? How do you tell stories in a different way?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, and it's something. I think it's important for people to keep in mind as they write their own pilots, whether they're samples or whether they're for an outlet. Um, there is something to having that crutch of the procedural element, right? And Rayla, I want to talk about this for a second. You were on Supernatural for a couple of years, but then you went to True Blood. Mm-hmm. And True Blood does not have that procedural element. So I want to talk about that transition for you and how you sort of learned to write the soap opera,
4: Oh, God, no. So it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I was miserable on Supernatural. Like, I didn't understand how to write that show at all. Like, I am not a procedural writer. Yeah. So procedural, formula, all of that stuff, I think structure is important. That's a very right. different thing, right? Understanding how something's structured and, and sort of yeah. having a set of rules and guidelines. But I guess you're not – You're We did on True Blood. Right. But we – but no, like in terms of procedure, in terms of a formula, this is what we do every episode, mm-hmm. to me is the death of art. Like I respect people who do that beautifully. To me, that is hell. Putting pu- putting me in a box and telling me I have to basically recreate the same pattern day after day after day. Um, and you know, I remember one of one of the shows I worked on was like early procedural show. Was mm-hmm. like. Um, might have even been to Supernatural. It's like we don't go home with the characters. We don't do that. Yeah. We focus on the, ca- you know. And I was like, the only thing I want to do is <laughs> go home with them. That's all I want to do. So for me, Supernatural was very difficult. Yeah. What it gave me that was really super valuable. A was learning to work in a way that was not comfortable to me. Um, it taught me a lot about genre. I don't like genre. I'm not like I'm not that interested in supernatural stuff. I'm not interested in magic that much. It was good for me to have to really dig into the stuff that was really uncomfortable for me because it's not what sure. I would want to watch. Yeah. Um, and so, it, and weirdly, I got True Blood because they they were like, we really should have a genre writer, <laughs> and you know, they liked my script because it really wasn't genre, you right. know. And That's so funny. I. I got hired on that show and it was like I I was about ready to quit television when I left Supernatural because I thought if this is the way it's made – and bless everybody who's happy, that is not for me yeah. and I can't do it. And, and when it's
3: your
1: first or early job. Early it's job, like, yeah. that's the only thing you know is yeah, it's and it was, disheartening. It
4: was so disheartening because it's easier, you know, I've I've had a slew of crazy jobs and like, you know, worked in titty bars and all kinds of things <laughs> in my twenties. And let me tell you, it's way easier to go into to a job in a titty bar than it is to go into a job doing what you love and not yeah. being able to do it in a way that you feel comfortable or connected yeah. with. So when I got to Trueblood, it was like, it was like, it was like my life just blossomed. It was the greatest thing ever because I was finally in a place where I was doing the kind of work I wanted to be doing, and I was being challenged in a way that was it felt good and like a good fit, and I was learning. Um,
0: was it, it even better than the titty bar?
4: <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to recommend the titty bar to everyone. But, you Is that know, your advice to writers starting yeah. it? I would definitely recommend it if you were like, listen, I'll tell you, there's, you don't know how many young artists are actually paying their way through their life that way, you know, instead of getting a lot of other jobs that don't allow you that kind of freedom <laughs> yeah. and ex- life experience. So I don't regret any of that. So I would not want to go back there today. <laughs> that would be very sad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's a good backup plan. No, um, no.
0: Except <laughs> I, for the buffet.
1: I want to ask about um, learning on that job. You were there for six seasons and, um, like, learning the language of that show. And was Alan Ball running the show?
4: Yes. Alan okay. Ball ran it for the entire time I was there. Um, yeah. When he left, I left.
1: Oh, okay. So, so I'm curious to hear about – we had him on the show and, you know, mm-hmm. he's a great storyteller and, and a fascinating guy. What did you take from that experience and how did you learn the language of that show?
4: Well, Alan changed my life, and I love him. You know, I take a bullet for the man. Um, So he changed my life because of the way he runs a show, which is very different than the way I run a show, Um, interestingly. Um, He basically, he hires people, um, and he empowers them 100%. So he went to his writer's room, and everyone was equal, and we all wrote our scripts, and he didn't tend to rewrite almost at all. Yeah, he said that. And he was like i don't care that they're all the same i'm not here to impose my voice on you <laughs> we're here to collectively create a voice together and i trust that your thing can be different than his and that the audience will be fine with that because we're all we're all rowing in the same direction even if it's 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 slightly different which you can see if you watch the show anyone who's a fan there's a lot of inconsistency <laughs> there's a lot of like oh, the rules are this and then they're that you know and he that was not what he cared about right mm-hmm. Um, so he did that in every department, um, every, every department owned what they did. And so me as a writer on that show, I went through every stage of being on set in editing. I had, was in the final cut was basically when I signed off on it, you know, so that was utterly like amazing because it taught me how to do every asset, every aspect of running a show from the time I was like a pretty low level writer. Um, so that was incredible. And the language of the show what he said, you know, similar to what to what we were talking about earlier, is he would just say, I've seen that before. Hmm. Why am I still watching this? What are we doing that's different? How are we pushing the envelope? And if you watch that show, you know, this is before Walking Dead, and you got to think it's before American yeah. Horror Story. Like, that show, you know... T- maybe some people would say to a fault, like really went places no other show had gone at that time. And that was an incredibly exciting place to work every day because there was nothing we couldn't do. And I take that even though there's a lot I can't do on Facebook. We don't, you know, we're Uh, PG-13. We don't, you know, there's a lot of things. Um, And I'm not that interested in the nudity and the graphic violence. But what I do to every scene is similar. I go, why are we doing this? What are we saying that's new? What does this mean? Where is, like, the heart in this, you know? And we put a lot of um, pressure on the ideas to do something nobody else hopefully nobody else has done a million times.
1: That's great, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, I think it shows in the show, too. And I think you. when people see that, it's it's not something you've seen a million times. But, Michael, <laughs> you've written on a lot of these shows that sort of depend upon, not formula, but a known structure. Like, sitcoms go a certain way, and you've worked on multicams, and you work on single cams. Um, and especially earlier in your career on some of the animated stuff, and on, on the kid stuff, um, which, you know, I've done too. You get so much so many strictures and so many parameters that you have to find the creative ways to play in. When you move to sort of this this middle phase of things you worked on, like like life unexpected, um and men in trees, where there's a little more room, i'm it's that adjustment I'm curious to hear about.
0: Oh, that's interesting. As, um I remember on men in trees pitching. A joke for a character, and everybody in the room laughed. And the showrunner Jenny Bix, who's great, said, "I don't think it's I don't think so." And I yeah. said, "Why not?" And she said, "Because the character Jack is not Mike Kramer. Like <laughs> you might say that, but I don't think Jack, you know." And so it did. Um, it was that adjustment, particularly because when I've written on these, and I just wrote a, an episode of Suits, a freelance episode mm-hmm. of Suits, but they usually want like a comedy writer, or particularly in my case, it was a, a writer I think who could write male characters, but with um, more emotion, not just jokey, you know? Mm-hmm. And I really don't, I know that example I just gave, but in general, I don't really write jokes as much as sure. uh, what I like to think of as, like, character-driven humorous co- drama, dialogue, rather. But um, and so, but it was the adjustment of, I remember being on set for Life Unexpected, and between scenes, I was, one of the directors said, what are you doing? And I said, I think this could be funnier, sort <laughs> of stuff. And he said, what are you doing? He said, yeah, we no, don't one's, do that here. no one's asking for it to be funnier, no one... You know, um, and it was uh, it was also interesting. Like sometimes doing punch up on some of the one hours I've worked on, where so many of my yeah. jokes did end up in the script, because like I realized, like to me, it was they had all these like sort of setups without they mm-hmm. didn't do the the joke. Um, but you but didn't have to be slavish
1: to that where to you do that. in a, a more straightforward. Yes,
0: we, it didn't matter if we went a page or two money page right. you could without a joke it didn't matter you know. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is I did notice once that um, you know, a little bit like at the end of the, the movie Tootsie where he says I'm a better man for having been a woman I feel like I'm a better comedy writer for having worked on dramas and a better mm-hmm. drama writer for having worked on How comedies so? I think in comedies it is all often is just so joke heavy and joke real, and they, they just think about the joke too much and especially on multicams sometimes a joke doesn't work in front of the live audience and they'll they'll try will try multiple jokes and then sometimes it ends up being like a dick joke that gets a laugh but right. half of the laugh is just because they're surprised by the word or something yeah. and it really isn't there's, there's a lack of a tru- uh, sometimes lack of trust in mm-hmm. the line because yeah, it's not it's a, not
1: an earned laugh
0: yes mm-hmm. and um, i think in for having done the dramedies is that um, like I, when I go to do the comedy now now my like I want to make sure everything is if every every line it's said is character driven and um, yeah. and if it's and if it's not you know I would go from that first and then make it funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that
1: able to inform like the y a the Disney stuff that you're
0: doing? It is um, and all the animated stuff almost almost all the animated stuff, I've done some things that were um, a little harder because it might be a little more action, sure comedy action and I don't really, the action stuff is not my thing. Um, (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I do think like, I don't like, I I don't, even when I've written, I've written one or two things that were preschool, but in general, all the stuff I don't write like, okay, boys and girls, like it's not that kind of a thing. And um, Dr. Seuss had this great quote about like, he never writes down to the kids. Mm -hmm. He just, and I think um, it is a thing. Like we would have stories that would be um, kid relatable, like, we wouldn't do a story about, like, the parents are getting audited on their taxes. Kids wouldn't care about that. But once we have the story that, you know, a kid doesn't want to go to school or something it um, and, like, fakes an illness to get out of it, um, it would be what just makes us laugh without being not sexual innuendos or sure. that kind of stuff. But it's just funny dialogue. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes
1: sense. Um, I want to very briefly um, touch on how you got into this business. Uh, and And, Leonard, I want to start with you. What was your breakthrough? What was the first thing you got hired on or paid for? Um, my, well,
5: my way in uh, was – it's interesting. I always tell people, you talk to 100 different people in our, in our business, you'll hear 100 different stories. Yeah. So I came in a very circuitous route. So uh, I was the theater guy, the, camp, the guy who did all the camp plays and the high school plays. But uh, I never thought in a million years I could ever have a career. In this industry, coming to Los Angeles was <laughs> just that—literally and uh, figuratively—foreign to me. Yeah. So uh, I ended up coming out of business school. I ended up getting my first job as a finance executive at Disney, hmm. um, and that was my foot in the door. Instead of waiting on tables or being an assistant, et cetera. I'd like uh, to talk to you about some back pay. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I had a four hundred one k, and but I knew I wanted to do something creative, and I took a for fun, and I'd done some writing in college and, and graduate school, and. I t- for fun, I took a sitcom writing class at UCLA Extension School, mm-hmm. and I had my epiphany and said, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. That's great. And so um, with the encouragement of my uh, then-girlfriend, now-wife, uh, I ended up leaving my job at Disney to set off to try to be a writer. And I knew it would be hard. I just didn't realize how hard it was going to be. <laughs> um, and then I eventually got my break. And it's, it, it's interesting. I, I, the way I got my break was based on a sweatshirt. So I had an agent at the time, but I wasn't getting any traction. So I went to Nate Nell's Deli on a Saturday morning with my roommate, uh, who, who was a, a friend of mine from graduate school who'd also gone who he'd gone to University of Western Ontario. And when we, as we're walking to the deli, uh, another guy is coming out and the guy coming out says, oh, I went to Western too. These two guys start talking, and it turns out I was supposed to meet the fellow coming out, uh, out of the deli. I was supposed to meet him a year earlier. We had somebody in common. Oh da da da. <laughs> so he and I went out for coffee, and we we struck up a friendship. And then he had been, he was working on a on a sketch comedy show, and he calls me and says, "They're taking submissions from outside writers. Why don't you submit some material?" I submitted some material, and I ended up. Uh the 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 show owner bought my sketches and then they ha- they had an opening. I got hired on the show.
1: That's wild. What was the show? Um uh,
5: it was a syndicated sketch comedy show called The News, N E W Z, okay. which um <laughs>
0: Like that's not how you spell the word. Yeah.
5: Really? <laughs> but interestingly, it wasn't about the news. Uh, it was a you know it was a syndicated show. They would block shoot like twenty episodes at a time. So you're shooting x number of right. weeks out. So you couldn't do anything current. <laughs> and it, it was a what was so good about that show was that it was a constant just you, they needed so much material and there weren't that many writers. So you'd write uh, you'd write something and it would, it would get in just because they needed the material. And then the show got shut down when they found that the non-writing executive producer had embezzled half a million dollars. Oh my. So God. I went from credited writer to creditor because I ended up. We all, all the <laughs> ended up in one of those lawsuits. I said, you know, X, Y, yeah. Z, et al. I was part of al, <laughs> and so and the actors had been screwed out of three months of pay, and the writers had been screwed, I think, oh out of two, God. maybe four weeks, and so we all s- settled for like ten cents on the dollar, and so That's that was and that was my first credit, and that and then that sort of led me to my next one. Where I ended up on the first season of Mad TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, from there I was able to get my first sitcom credit That's interesting. and then, uh, sort of, sort of on my way, but with stops and starts, right? Yeah. You know, you think I'm, I've arrived and then, the, you know, <laughs> they brought in a new showrunner and the new showrunner, yeah. what brings I in his or her house, all, yeah. You know, all, yeah, brand new people. So you're left standing outside, you know, with your, <laughs> with your banker's box. <laughs>
1: Um, and and so that was, that's how it all began. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, it's, it's a great journey. Uh, I hope you'll come back and we can talk about it sometime. Uh, you also had a weird entrance to this business.
4: Um, yeah, I grew up in Spain and Ibiza, Spain with hippie parents. Um, (laughs) I knew I wanted to be a writer. They're American. So that's why I, you know, I speak English the way I (laughs) speak English, but, um, So I knew I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I started writing and directing plays, opened a theater company with all the stoned hippie kids, (laughs) moved to L.A. at 17, convinced I was going to take over everything right away, (laughs) Um, instead became a waitress, and then I became a stripper, and during all of that time, I was running theater companies and writing and directing and producing and starring and all that shit and all my own plays. With a bunch of other people, and um, eventually um, that transition to like what maybe maybe screenwriting, maybe television. You know that was from theater, which I was not succeeding at, and uh, got a writing partner, Sarah Gamble, who now runs the show You and Magicians and stuff, and um, we wrote a script that got into Project Greenlight, right. season two. We were on the HBO so show funny. for one episode because we were the runners up to the winners <laughs> yes. of season two, but we did not win. Thank God. Um, only Do you think it was better not to win? Hundred oh, percent. Not you know not because the show was set out to right. meet to hurt anybody, but because making a movie when for uh, for low budget movie when yeah. you've never done it before with a camera following you around is like <laughs> just you're going to look like a complete moron. Like if you followed me around then, right yeah. now after sixteen years, I'd look like a moron. There's no winning in that situation. Yeah, so so uh, but so we, we got an agent because of that. That's great. Um, and uh, then we got, it took about a year from that point. So I was on a reality show on HBO while I was still working as a strip club in downtown L.A., wow, and people God. would walk in and recognize me and be like, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the most humiliating. I had never been humiliated about being a stripper until that moment That's where people brutal. thought that that was pathetic, that I was still there once I had gotten to that place. Um, and then I got I got my first writing room went from stripping the night before to walking to a into a writing oh my room gosh. I didn't even know how a writing room wow. worked what was the first room uh, it was called Eyes it was an, it was an oh, ABC yeah. show with Tim Daly and um, thankfully the showrunner was like just was awesome and gave us our first job and loved Project Greenlight and That's it was like so rooting funny. for us and <laughs> instead of making us a joke he gave us a job yeah. and, um, and did
1: you did you and Sarah after the Project Greenlight experience did yeah. you sort of have the water bottle tour and meet on a bunch of things oh, you yeah. Had the oh yeah yeah H&M. yeah we were
4: pitching we were meeting sure. we were doing all of that stuff but it took over a year yeah. with everyone being like we were a joke of we were reality TV jokes yeah. basically but you know she's run she's the showrunner of multiple <laughs> shows and you know so it's kind of like uh i guess we get out the last laugh on that one for
1: sure for sure yeah. um it's crazy um and uh michael and lily um we've heard your origin together <laughs> but um mike where did you start out what were you doing before some of this
0: um work? so i, I moved uh, in i went to rutgers um i have, actually have a degree in agricultural economics my what? my one career goal is never to use my degree <laughs> um, i've joked that my entire life screams lack of guidance <laughs> and um, but that's a whole other involved Thing, but um, in college I took writing classes, some writing classes, and loved it. But by that point, to switch to be a writing major or an English major, I would have had to go an extra year of college, sure. and I knew nobody would care what about a degree. So I moved out to LA after college to get into sitcom writing. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of mine, Rachel Littman, a great writer, she got on Rugrats uh, in, the, in um, the very beginning, and um, when people barely knew of Nickelodeon at the yeah. time. But um, she said, if you give me your spec scripts, we we're j- struggling, you know. Trying to become writers at the same time. And um, she said, if you give me your spec scripts, she'll give them to the other writers and maybe I could come in and pitch. And I did and I sold one. And then I didn't sell on anything for another five years. She got on a Disney cartoon yeah. called Recess and she did the same thing. And then I uh, sold one. And then the showrunners called me a few weeks later saying that one of the writers happens to be leaving. And they like my freelance, the best of the freelancers but I want to come on staff. But, so I had been working as a PA for years and then as a writer's assistant yeah. for years. So you had
1: and sort of, you'd stayed around, you'd stayed in the industry, you'd gotten these jobs where you could, and presumably yes. you were writing all along. Yes, well. so I was writing
0: specs and, and all that. And then, um, and um, but then um, I also, this is a whole separate thing, which I had Lyme disease, so it, I lost a bunch of years to oh, illness. And then so then when I came back, wrote new specs, Ended up, a few years later, getting on recess, and then after that, one of the writers left and went to a show called Angel Anaconda, mm-hmm. and then brought me on, and then I was sure. co-writer of that, and then it's interesting. You get I, a little momentum that way. Yeah, and then I went to, um while I was on recess, I applied, I remember to the, uh, I got into the Warner Brothers sitcom mm-hmm. writing workshop, but I remember when they interviewed me, they had read spec sitcom specs, and they said to me, was it hard for you to adapt your cartoon style to live action. And I said, no, like, it was hard for me to adapt my live action style. Like, <laughs> right. Car, like, I didn't, I want, yeah. you know. But then over the years, um, same thing. It's just been, like, I thought, I did take a writing class at UCLA Extension, a sitcom writing class, from a woman who was a sitcom writer for mm-hmm. years. And she said, it's it's not only hard to break into the business, it's also hard to stay. Yeah. You know, and. Um, for sure. So that was the original. And then. Switching yeah. over to different genres,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and working all along, it sounds like, which is which is great but on both your true. own stuff and, and yes, for yes, but other
0: also um, just not to paint any false picture, I've also worked for a bunch of years, and then when I've tried to switch from animation to yeah. prime time, it was like two years of it's doing hard. some freelance animation, but struggling, and then it, yeah. one of the or universal
5: charm. plagues in the industry is this notion of pigeonholing. It is remarkable, even, and it gets very granular. I I know this. Uh, Very uh, experienced writer who has written on a series of very successful, some of the most successful shows in television. And what they told me was, I'm pigeonholed as a cop show writer. I can't, you know, they they, they'd love to write for a a teen drama or a genre show, but they they're at the top of the list of every cop show. And anyone would look at this person's resume and say, I want that resume. But this writer wants to flex some new muscles and can and has the ability, but. The industry, for whatever reason, you get pigeonholed. Yeah, Did you, I
4: have it with genre. I, I mean, was going to say. People think I, I do sci-fi yeah. and fantasy, and I actually don't watch any for of it. For someone who doesn't like, like that, you've worked you on know, a lot of those I shows. I just keep getting them. And like when, when people come to me with development, they come to me with that, and yeah. I keep being yeah. like, no. Yeah, people yeah. say to me, like, are you
0: a single camera writer or a multi-cam? And I've said- I don't care how many cameras are on the actors when right. they say it. my lines. I doesn't. So here's a line you, we should all use: yeah.
5: when someone says, "Well, what do you write?" and you say, "I write good stuff."
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> which yeah. and I think that is starting to change. You know, the more sort of yeah. newer writers I have in here are see the fluidity of it. Where writing is writing, right? Mm. And I think it's starting to trickle up to the executives who see that you know people can write more than one thing can be more than yeah.
5: one. I mean, thing. that's the the good news is in the the industry is changing so rapidly in real time that it really is chaos out there. And so uh, chaos breeds opportunity. So uh, this is a chance for everyone to not not reinvent themselves, but maybe just flex a a different muscle in a different way. And all of a sudden, someone will hear you because they need stuff.
1: Yes. I mean, look, I think, (laughs) Rail, you're a great uh, example of this. You had this project you believed in that's not necessarily in line with the stuff you had already done and found a new platform, a new home for it. Uh, because they needed material and they needed good material.
4: Yeah, and the thing is, you know, I think it it is a risk and it's time suck if you don't end up selling it. But I I was on a show at the time that I was co-running – with Carlton Qs who I really admire but we were making a show that was based on something else that had yeah. been done before and you know I was just feeling this thing of like I need to do something that even if it fails yeah. like it just is something that no other human being <laughs> would have done and totally. and that's was worth my time no matter what yeah. happened.
1: And I think if you are a writer trying to break into this business that's the one opportunity you have, right? Mm-hmm. Is to write the thing that only you can write because you have enough time. Nobody, there's no deadline on you. You can write that thing that means something. We do need to wrap up, uh, and we will do so by asking you what we always end by asking, which is what are you watching on television these days? What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones? And, Lily, we're going to start with you.
6: Well, I just finished Binging You, which was so great. I that was a good show. Oh, God, it's a great show. Yeah. It shouldn't be yeah, as good as great.
4: it is. I know. <laughs> Sarah Gamble's really, really, really talented. She's pretty good at yeah. it. Yeah.
6: So that's my recent That's finish.
0: a good one. Um, we've been watching Succession as well. Which is which great, too. Is really great.
1: I shouldn't be so excited about all of these white, rich dudes and their <laughs> no. problems, but it's fascinating. And
0: it's also funny be getting notes on uh, projects being like, everybody has to be likable. And then yeah. it's funny because I'm watching this going, oh, this is the, you know, <laughs> like, why am I liking this? It's a but you're
1: still stuff. rooting for them, but they're they're awful. Yes. It's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one.
5: I'm watching two shows, uh, Kaminsky Method, mm-hmm. which oh, okay. I think is just drop-dead hilarious. And that. and what one of the things I love about the show is I think it speaks to this idea of of opening up storytelling. It, 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 there, it's, it, there's a very fluid storytelling mm-hmm. way the show has about it. It's not that traditional sitcom, even though it was created by Chuck Lorre and yeah. Al Higgins, who are veteran sitcom writers. I, I just think it, it's a delight on every level. And the other show I'm watching is my uh, I'm watching West Wing with my daughter. Awesome. Uh, We just watched the entire series. Yeah. And it is interesting in these fraught political times. uh, It's interesting on a couple levels. One is Obviously, these fraught political times. What that show represented, but also um, just seeing how good a storyteller Aaron Sorkin was. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's now very familiar. Yeah. Back then, he was less familiar, and so uh, it was just. It's interesting to see it through through new through new eyes. Yeah. And, uh, how is she it liking it? She she loves it, That's and cool. she and it is it, 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 the show is accomplishing. I think everything Sorkin wanted. It too, which was, it's it's a smart show that's actually believe it or not educating a, a young yeah. a young woman uh, about how how Washington works <laughs> and really giving that that inside baseball look. So that that's, that's really been cool. a uh, big
1: success for us. That's great. Have you checked out the West Wing Weekly podcast? No, get it. I was unaware. Uh, episode by episode, uh, podcaster and uh, musician Rishi Herway and Josh Molina, who is on the later sure. seasons of the show, go through and talk about every episode they have people who are involved with the show the writers the cast the directors uh they've had everyone involved in the show and i think they're up to season six already oh that's great yeah yeah. it's worth listening. it's a a great show what are you watching
4: uh i am in the writer's room on my show and when i do that i do not watch television because it influences and seeps into everything i do and i start stealing or comparing and it's bad for (laughs) me so all i watch (laughs) During any form of writing is really bad reality television, or <laughs> listen to a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. particularly crime-related ones. Oh yeah, um, yes. What do you recommend? Oh god, so many. Um, Bear Brook is I like. Didn't know that. Oh my god, I just did you a huge favor. <laughs> <laughs> Case file. Which is an Australian. Oh, like, I
1: have heard of that. Yeah, yeah there's, yeah.
4: I mean, I could give you a list, but it's long. Um, I'm obsessed.
1: Those are two good answers. Uh, thank Can you Can I all offer so a suggestion,
5: Drell? Okay, you, you don't, you said you don't like to write procedural or, you know what? If you love those podcasts, you could probably turn those in, sell those That's as, a, true. <laughs> as a show.
4: They're already in bidding wars on Bear oh, Of course. And, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, I'm very inspired, and in the, the 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 work I'm doing right now is sort of it's it's crime related. So cool. It's sort of research.
1: Uh, well, that's great. Um, everyone should check out everything you all are doing. It's all cool stuff. Thank you all for being here. We Thanks really so appreciate it. it. Thank I hope you. To come back and chat again sometime.
4: Thank you so much. Forever
1: dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.